Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, the Coors Radio Network presents The Roy Green Show with Roy Green. Keeping you informed and entertained. Now, here's Roy. You would have had to have been with us for my sign-off in the last hour to get this, but I just got an email from uh, Joe to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Yes, you are one of them, whatever them is. Well, thank you, Joe. I will explain what them is in the next half hour, and then I'll give you the opportunity to share your point of view. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, ISIS launched an attack on Kurdish forces in northern Iraq And Canadian soldiers training the Kurds found themselves firing on the Islamic State fighters in what proved to be a 17-hour attack by ISIS. At the same time, two CF-18s in the air already were diverted to provide support for the Kurds and their Canadian trainers, which they did, dropping ordnance on the ISIS fighters. And this again for many raises the question of whether it's appropriate to withdraw Canada's fighter planes from the coalition bombing ISIS at this time. Parliament is politically divided along party lines. What a surprise. Joining me on the show to uh, to speak about this, and we're always uh, privileged to have him join us, is the former commanding officer of JTF2, Joint Task Force 2, Canada's National Counterterrorism Force, Special Forces Unit, Colonel Steve Day. Colonel, great to have you with us. Roy, it's great to be back with you again, and season's greetings, and Merry Christmas to all your listeners. Well, I'm sure right back to you and your family. Would you advise pulling the CF-18s out of the coalition or leaving them in at least until the end of their scheduled deployment? And I've heard, by the way, that the refueling planes Canada has with the coalition would be more than welcome if they stayed and maybe more valuable in the big picture than the CF-18s. What's your thinking, Colonel Day? Well, my, my thinking, as uh, we've discussed many times in the past, is we, we've got a great little force package on the ground over there. And having the CF-18s, the surveillance aircraft, refuelers, supporting our Canadian special operators on the ground is exactly what we should be doing here as a first world nation trying to defeat this this scourge that's currently occupying the Middle East. So the whole package should stay. That's the fighters, the refuelers, and the ground trainers. I, I absolutely believe the whole package should stay because, again, if you look at Canada and Canadians, when the cause has been just, and this is certainly a just cause, Canada and Canadians have always stepped up to do the right thing and, uh, you know, preserve our way of life and the way of life of our allies. And, and this is a just cause. This is a just fight. And we absolutely should stay engaged. If there was a bit more maybe coherence or um, a bit more logic to the argument, I think uh, Canadians would, would understand why they need to keep these forces deployed, our forces deployed. I completely agree with you. I don't see any logic in in the position that's been put forward. It's like a political position that uh, the Prime Minister feels that he has to meet. I'm not asking you to comment on this, but it just seems to me to be a bit of political immaturity at play. 
Well, I, I think, you know, and I, and I think most national security experts would, would agree with this. There's, it's one of the challenges in, in our Canadian national security architecture is that absolutely the politicians are in charge as they should be. But unfortunately, um, we don't or we are not blessed in this country with always some of the, the um, leading minds, if you will, on national security matters in our, in our political masters. They just they don't happen to, it's not that they're mutually exclusive, we just don't for the most part, have a lot of people with uh, national security backgrounds at the political level, at the political level. Colonel Day, you also said to us last, I think it was last time we talked, that if you do this, if you diminish Canada's contribution at a time when the Allies are saying they need everything that they can possibly get, and even though we only have six CF-18s there, it's an important piece of the puzzle. Um, you've said that if we if we uh, if we diminish our our participation, there's also the real chance that allies will cut back on intelligence sharing with us. Uh, that would have long-term detrimental effect, would it not? Well, no, it absolutely would. And this is where what we talked about last time was again if. If we were going to pull out the CF-18s or whatever component of the task force that's over there, and then augment it with something else that the ally that our allies believed was of equal or greater benefit, then it's basically a you know it's a net zero gain. So uh, I know the government is still uh, considering its options here, and uh, we're hearing that they're going to, they're going to engage the, the training component on the ground, uh, or sorry, uh, enlarge the training component on the ground, which I'm sure would be would be beneficial. But it's, it's like everything else. There's just there's no coherence to the argument in my mind about why we would want to pull those aircraft back. This is an adversary that we want to defeat, that we must defeat. So why would we not, as a first world nation, put all of our our tools and resources against it that we can? Yeah. And I don't think very many of us doubt that uh, that ISIS has at least some resources squirreled away in this country. And, uh, and and we need to be we need to have, provide a united front against them internationally. They're also, Colonel Day, they're not a they're hardly a spent force. Uh, they proved that I think um, the other day with their 17-hour attack. They also have the support of other militant groups like Boko Haram and arguably getting bigger and stronger and more aggressive, active in Libya and increasingly in Afghanistan. From from what I've read, apart from the uh, apart from the aircraft. How would you advise Canada to participate in combating ISIS? I guess I'm getting to something that you said to us last time as well, and that is sending small units of special forces operators, setting them loose on ISIS. Uh, absolutely, and I would just want to make one uh, counterpoint to what you just used to set up off the top there. I'm actually not convinced that we're not degrading these and, and, and making progress because you're right, uh, notwithstanding the, the, uh, the attack they staged about 72 hours ago, often this is a classic insurgent tactic when they are on their back foot and they are uh, they see that they're bleeding support or that they need to make a show of force they will they will gather together and try and move forward and we saw this in afghanistan as well when the, when the taliban came together and when they come together in these battalion size attacks they inevitably get defeated because they're up against first or second world combat power but what they're doing there it's actually a strategic effect to mobilize if you will and and sustain their ideology and show their converts that they're still a force to be reckoned with. And they generally do that when they're on the back foot. So it, I find it rather interesting. They've brought this large attack together. We've, we've uh, no, I use the world we hear, but it's been pushed back and defeated. And that is an indication to me that they are potentially in trouble. Uh, so 
That's good news. And it would, again, be a reason to not withdraw any part of our component participating in the uh, in the attack on ISIS, because clearly it's the, it's the combined effort of the coalition that will have accomplished this. Absolutely. This is, this is, you're 100% correct, Roy. Here we are. We have an adversary on their back foot. And for some reason, we want to start thinking about taking the foot off the gas. Like, I don't, I don't understand the logic. And I come back. I don't think there's been a coherent argument made about why we should be withdrawing those aircraft or any piece of the task force that is deployed in Iraq. Can you stay with us a few minutes longer, Colonel Day? I, I, I certainly can. Okay. We're going to come back. With uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, the former commander of Canada's JTF-2, Joint Task Force 2, uh, National Counterterrorism Special Forces Unit, on uh, the question about the Prime Minister and his continued decision to withdraw the six CF-18 fighter aircraft. You're hearing what Colonel Day thinks of that decision. Um, what about some of the other options that we have on the ground? What uh, should we be considering? What can be done? We'll ask Colonel Day after this. From hard news to pop culture, he's got you covered. The Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. You can listen back to my conversation with uh, retired Lieutenant Colonel Steve Day, former commanding officer of JTF2, Joint Task Force 2, at RoyGreenShow.com in the podcast section. Anytime you choose, you can uh, listen back to entire shows or segments as you wish. It's all there for you at RoyGreenShow.com. Colonel Day, uh, so if, if it's possible that ISIS is on its back foot as far as its capability is concerned to, um, to be uh, militarily, let's say, active or successful, does this then take us to um, broadening the the options of, of attacking them and, and diminishing them, depleting their resources, as it were, by engaging or allowing small units of special operators to work almost independently um, and, 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 de- and degrade them? Uh, absolutely. This is where this is the next phase that we we do need to move to, and you we're starting to see some movement in this direction with the with the United States in particular and, and announcing the deployment of additional uh, additional trainers, etc., going on to the ground. But uh, yeah, as we've talked about in the past, uh, this is an ideology we're trying to defeat. This ideology, for the most part, is uh, executed through cellular small cells of our adversary. So to defeat a cellular organization. We almost need to be cellular like ourselves and, and take small teams of uh, whatever it might be, anywhere from 1 to 20 men and women, put them out there where they need to be and allow them to go after the leadership, the logisticians and the financiers and take the network apart. This is what, uh, what happened in Iraq and Afghanistan in the late 2000 and noughts, if you will. And once we moved away from that strategy, we started to see a resurgence of the, of the insurgencies. So now, again, we have to ask whether the political masters have the wherewithal to understand the logic that's put forward to them by military and and other intelligence professionals. Uh, Agreed. And in in some cases, there's some senior national security uh, folks that would not agree with that strategy. So, you know, that, that takes us down another conversation about how special operations and the larger conventional forces that they often support, how there's a little bit of... uh, um, cleavage between those two communities too. So it's you know the special operations world and what we're looking at in terms of counterinsurgency uh, operations. It is a niche skill set that uh, not everyone appreciates how difficult that is uh, for for a strategy to execute. Yeah, it's not a Hollywood movie. 
it, it's not, and it takes it takes time. It takes dedicated men and women who are willing to risk it all um, to do what needs to get done. And it often happens in the shadows, out of out of sight. And it's just it's hard work, and it takes a lot of intelligence to make sure that you you cue those small teams onto the right node that they need to strike or capture. And this would uh, include JTF two and uh, Canadian Special Operations Regiment, right? Absolutely. It includes any of the, the, the Canadian Special Operations Task Force that's deployed. They're, they're, they're task-tailored to the operation. And then, of course, at the same time, all of its allies and, and all of our allies around the world that uh, are out there trying to defeat and degrade uh, this heinous form of, uh, of ideology that we're trying to take apart. Colonel Day, uh, you, you told us that, interestingly, JTF-2 is maybe the only... Uh, uh, special Forces Counterterrorism Unit globally or in the West that uh, has is mandated to operate outside the national boundaries of the country they represent. But uh, JTF-2 is also mandated to operate inside Canada domestically. Um, so how would you assess the threat to Canada? And I ask you this after seeing Paris and San Bernardino and remembering well last October in Ottawa, there is concern among Canadians, and I hear it and I read it, about a terror attack in, in this country. Uh, with JTF-2 operating domestically as well as outside of Canada, how do you see the threat to this country and how do we counter it? Well, again, uh, JTF-2 or the Canadian Special Operations Community is always in support of another government department or, depart- or, or agency. So domestically, it is traditionally in support of the RCMP or CSIS, our, our intelligence agency. So they have the lead domestically. And if, if there's an event or if there's an investigation that requires some additional uh, capabilities or cap- capacities, then there will be a request for those, those resources to be brought across to help enable that uh, or defeat whatever that, that project is that they're working against. Uh, so that's, that's the domestic piece. Um, and same thing internationally. For the most part, D&D is in support of foreign affairs or global affairs, whatever we're, we're calling it this week now, so excuse me on that one. Um, but at the, at the end of the day, uh, the special operations community is always in support of another department. So when we talk about threats, again, the threat in Canada today it is quite low. It's not. It's not uh, insignificant. It's not that it doesn't exist. It certainly does. But we've got a lot bigger threats and things to worry about in any given day in Canada than a, than a terrorist attack. Now that being said, when it happens, and it will happen here, and I, I can't stress that enough, it's going to happen on, on our soil again, like you stressed uh, last October twenty second. But these, the chances of being of, of the average Canadian being in the place where this terrorist strike happens is 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 very, very low. So I, I just like to, I always like to couch that with him and put it within context. Is it going to happen? I am convinced it's going to happen. Is it uh, likely that as a Canadian you should wake up in the morning or go to bed at night worried about it? I, I would suggest no. Uh, given that, uh, again, if, if, I, if ISIS is on its back foot, uh, as far as its capabilities are concerned to deal militarily or, or in a confrontation with first world militaries, there's uh, every need to continue to degrade them and to take away their capacity and capability to operate. And that, I think, would then also make them less attractive as far as uh, recruitment is concerned. It may be more attractive if some, if some organization is deemed to be successful and they can tell you all the things that they've accomplished from their perspective. But if the news is clearly that they're losing, then maybe they won't get nearly as many people, young people being, buying into joining them. Oh, I, I think there is always going to be people that are attracted to this. 
right? There's all, it's always going to be, there's just always going to be these disaffected people looking for a, a train to hook their wagon to. The challenge, and this is why terrorism um, and these, these sick ideologies are not military problem sets. They're, they're societal problem sets, but unfortunately, militaries for the most part are the only organizations that have the global reach, supported by the intelligence community, to get offshore and, and try and strike them. So when you talk about um, Iraq and Syria and that massive problem that's over there, it is truly a law enforcement problem, but there is no, there is no social structure, there's no governance structure, there's no legal structure that allows those, those countries that are, that are suffering from this to deal with it. So what are brought in? Military forces are brought in to help create a security bubble so that governance and, good gov- and you know, social society can return. Uh, when, when you talk about societies, for the average person in, in, in our societies, this is a very steep curve. I don't know if I should call it a learning curve, but a very steep curve that we're, that we're I guess, learning to, to understand and learning is in our midst by witnessing what happened in Paris and witnessing what happened in, uh, in San Bernardino and trying to come to some uh, collective sense of, of what, what's going on and, and not feeling afraid. And having you say to us what you've been saying to us and explaining to the situation to us, I think, goes a long way to, to creating that dynamic Colonel Day. Well, hopefully, because I, I, I just do want to stress, is there a, th- uh, a threat out there? Absolutely there is. Should we be doing things? I absolutely believe we do. So we come all the way circular back to the beginning of our conversation. We should have CF-18s and special operators, intelligence personnel deployed and degrading and defeating this ideology. But I think we need to be realistic. This ideology, when ISIS is eventually defeated, because it will be, there will be another organization that pops up that is just as bad. It's like like we started with al-Qaeda that then transformed into AQI, al-Qaeda in Iraq, and, uh, and now it turned into ISIS. Something else will follow ISIS in, in the years to come. This is going to be the conflict for the next 20, 30, 40 years, and we just need to understand that it's out there, but not let it drive our lives. Yeah. And uh, bullets aren't going to dissolve a philosophy. It's going to take bullets, and it's going to take um, thinking and commitment. Agreed, uh, 100%. Colonel Day, it's always great talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us again. Uh, the best of the Christmas season to you and your family, and I uh, we'll look forward to speaking with you again in 2016. You too, Roy. Thank you. Colonel Steve Day, uh, immediate past commanding officer of Canada's Joint Task Force 2, Special Forces Counterterrorism, National Counterterrorism Organization, and saying very clearly that um, CF-18 should not be withdrawn from the, their role in uh, in combating ISIS with the coalition, saying the entire package that we have needs to be kept together. And there's absolutely, there's no logic in the Prime Minister's thinking. Mr. Trudeau, if you're not going to use the CF-18s with the coalition to attack ISIS, what are you going to use them for? What is your sense? I know you had the silly little joke about whipping out your CF-18s. Set aside the... Uh, infantile humor, and share with Canadians, please, what you think they should be used for, and when, and how. That would be helpful if you want to get your point across. We're going to come back, and I'm going to share an incident with you, and I'll ask you whether I'm one of them or whether you're with me. Stay with us.